Finding new wines in the store is such a challenge. Thankfully, NakedWines.com connects everyday wine drinkers and winemakers more closely than ever before, granting you access to unique and exclusive wines from across the globe. Better yet, by funding winemakers directly, they remove a huge chunk of costs that would typically be passed on to you, so you can save up to 60% on all of your wine. And with over 2 million customer reviews, you can easily determine which wine is right for you. Best of all, you can get $100 off your first order. Try 12 of NakedWines.com's favorites for only $79. Just visit NakedWines.com slash MLB to claim your offer. Again, that's NakedWines.com slash MLB. Hello and welcome to the Ringer MLB show. My name is Ben Lindbergh. I'm a writer for TheRinger.com. I'm joined as always by Michael Bauman. Hello, Michael. How's your break? Ooh, sounds like you were... Like, you really had to lean into that hello to get over the top of the hill. <laughs> yeah, an object at rest remains at rest, and I was at rest for a day or two there. But we are back, and, you know, our man, the Freeze, had a rough All-Star game. He uh, he did not have a great showing. I love that they brought him to the All-Star game, because I think the All-Star game should be an all-star game for everything. Whoever had the the best start to the season, best beer guy, best broadcaster, best grounds crew, they should all get to go. I don't know how you determine those things, but it'd be a vote among their peers. So best between innings promotion, clearly the freeze this yeah. year. So he deserved his spot, but it didn't go well. I think it was his third loss and and maybe his most convincing loss. He was uh, maybe it was just that his his normal assistants who uh, determined the the start time were not there, and so the the fill-ins didn't calculate the distance appropriately. Yeah, it was also the. I imagine this would have been his toughest opponent yet because I think the the guy yeah, who beat him was run. A, he was a strength coach of of some kind, so like a, a professional guy who's in shape, which I feel like, you know, doesn't <laughs> yeah. really fit with the spirit of the the freezes promotion. <laughs> yeah, so, right. Yeah, I I having never even contemplated anything like your idea of having the all-stars of everything at the all-star game until 30 <laughs> seconds ago, I want to say I love it and we yeah. should absolutely have the best grounds crew and the best beer vendor and so on. Yeah. I love best grounds crew. Like they come in and they just kick the the home grounds crew off and they say, this is how it's done. Yeah. This is your field's going to look good for once. What do you call these rakes? You call this a tractor? <laughs> best bullpen catcher. Yeah. I mean, that would definitely yeah. be up be up our alley. Mm -hmm. uh, so the freeze, since he's like going to Miami and and actually is a de facto all-star, I think it's time for us to start putting pressure on the, the convenience store that that sponsors the promotion to actually like sponsor his track career. So yeah. I think that, you know, if you're, let me look up what racetracks Twitter handle is, but <laughs> I would encourage all of you to, to demand that racetrack, uh, give Nigel Talton enough money that he can quit his job unloading boxes at the Amazon warehouse and, and focus on running, whether it's at the, the SunTrust Park morning track or at the World Indoor Track Championships, because, you know, yeah. I think I think he deserves that. Yeah. And as someone on Ringer Slack pointed out, I think they should acknowledge that the character is clearly inspired by Frozone from The Incredibles. I think that is indisputable if you look at the costume. I don't know whether that link has been acknowledged, but there is clearly a, a debt owed to The Incredibles here for this character, but Nigel has made it his own. Yeah, if it, I mean, if they were really serious about that, they would have made him go out on rollerblades on the, the warning track. Right. Even this thing that we love, this great organic you know, viral moment is just an orgy of the missteps of late capitalism. So... <laughs> Nobody's safe. <laughs> so later in the episode, we're going to have longer discussions about the Cubs-Brewers race in the NL Central and how the trade deadline market is shaping up. We were already planning to do both of those things, but there was a major move made today, the first big trade of the summer broken by the White Sox, maybe because Fox Sports won't let Ken Rosenthal write anymore. Teams mm. are just breaking their own news now. This is the Jose Quintana trade 
the long-awaited Jose Quintana trade. And the really fascinating aspect to it is that he is going across town in Chicago. He's going from the White Sox to the Cubs for some big prospects. And we have not often seen trades made between these two teams and, and intra-city rivals in general. So, this is big, and you have already written about it for The Ringer, so I will ask you to break down the basics, at least, to get us started. Yeah, well, I want to start by saying that I'm shocked that the biggest news involving a Colombian athlete named Quintana to take place between when we started recording this podcast and when we finished <laughs> recording this podcast was that was something other than Nairo Quintana getting dropped in the Pyrenees <laughs> and dropping all the way to eighth in the Tour de France standings. Cycling segment. Yeah, All right. yeah, I will make you beg for college baseball by the time <laughs> this segment's over. So Quintana's really good. Um, he hasn't really pitched yeah. like it this year, He has, but he has a 270 ERA uh, in his last seven starts. And he's just been so consistent over the past four or five years that... Mm-hmm. Like I'm more willing to believe in sort of a, a small sample rejuvenation with him than I am with most pitchers, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. The Cubs have been, their rotation's been absolutely terrible. Uh, so he fits in perfectly there. The most surprising thing to me is that they were willing to part with Eloy Jimenez this early in the trade yeah, season. So tell us who's in the package because there are a bunch of names here. Yeah, it is a bunch of names. The two big ones are Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease. And Jimenez is a consensus top 15 prospect. He was eighth uh, on the baseball prospectus midseason top 50 that came out last week. He is an enormous, like this is a, an archetype that should be familiar to everybody now. He is an enormous corner guy with immense power, probably 70 or 80 grade power. He made mm, those uh, guys are fun. Yeah. And uh, after the Cubs got rid of Glyber Torres, after they promoted Ian Happ and Kyle Schorber over the past couple years, he was kind of their last big like actual world-class prospect that they could either turn into a superstar themselves or package for somebody like Quintana or like, I don't know if they had waited later in the the trade season and gone after Sonny Gray or you Darvish or somebody like that. So it didn't seem like the Cubs were that eager to part with him. And so, you know, that to me says how seriously they take it. They take the situation they're in and how much they like Quintana. The other guy is, is Dylan Cease, who is a sixth rounder in 2014. He has struggled to stay healthy at Tommy John right out of right out of high school. So he's still an A ball. He's still a few years off, but you know, he's supposed to be, you know, this type of prospect as well. The A ball pitcher with big stuff who could be a starter, could be a reliever, who could blow mm-hmm. out again and never, you know, never uh sniff the major leagues. So I don't I actually don't know that I like this package a lot better than the the Oraldis Chapman package from a year ago. And particularly considering that Quintana has three more years of team control. He's only 28. He should be good through the the end of the 2020 season when he becomes a free agent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's interesting that considering how unsettled the Unsettled the trade market is, and we'll talk about this just with the AL wildcard and our specific trade deadline mm-hmm. discussion later in the episode, that they didn't wait it out a little bit more. And Theo Epstein often likes to make deals early in the season, go get his guy instead of waiting for the market to shake out and risk losing him. I don't think this is a trade the Cubs would make if they were five games up, but right, yes. you know, it's, it's not a bad deal uh, for them by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. I mean, given what a problem the, the fifth starter slot has been for them this year. And, and now one they through just, four. Their best pitcher this yeah. year has been Eddie Butler. Right. Yeah. Now they get to just bump out whoever the worst person is at the moment and put in Quintana, who's, as you said, has been one of the best pitchers at baseball over the last four years or so, really since he debuted in 2012. And he's kind of one of those guys who's gone from underrated to probably properly rated just because so many people have talked about him being underrated, but he doesn't have impressive win-loss records. He's played for pretty bad teams for the most part, but he's just been very consistent and until this year, at least good at limiting home runs, even in a, a good home run park. And he's had four 200 inning seasons in a row. He never really misses a start. So 
he got off to a, a bad start this year, but as you mentioned, he has looked more or less like his old self mm-hmm. of late. So yeah, he was he sort of flew under the radar a little bit. He didn't didn't make an all star team, didn't even get a Cy Young vote until last season. And I think you know, it's yeah. being on bad teams, being not only on the same team as Chris Sale, but I think a lot of other really interesting pitchers. But you know, between Carson Fulmer and Carlos Rodon and Hector Santiago, they came up around the same time. And Santiago was another lefty who had the screw ball so you know he got a lot of attention but you know Quintana is he's not as flashy a name as somebody like Archer or Gray or Darvish but he's a really good pitcher mm-hmm. yeah I mean just going back a bit he was released by the Mets when he was very young and and then the Yankees just let him go and then picked him up again and let him go and and, and the White Sox picked him up and really turned him into something and so the White Sox are just stockpiling a lot of extremely talented and and far away but high upside type guys mm-hmm. and if they just hit on a few of these guys and given the number of them that they've acquired over the last year or so it would be hard to miss on all of them yeah they are going to look good a few years from now their their system is packed yeah one thing i i mentioned in the piece that is worth repeating here is on that bp top 50 with Jimenez, they now have four of the top 31 prospects in baseball, including two in the top 10 Mm -hmm. and number one. And all four of those were acquired by trade in the past nine months. And you add to that, they had two two first rounders last year. The other top 50 prospect they have was a second rounder last year, Alec Hansen, who they've turned into like he was an absolute wreck coming out of Oklahoma. And he's turned into a really they've more or less fixed him. So it's I struggle to remember the, the last time a farm system got this good this quickly and you'd hope yeah. that would happen given the major league talent they traded away but you know that wasn't working for them they couldn't break 80 wins even with sale adam eaton and mm-hmm. quintana so you know why keep doing the same thing if it's obviously not working and i think they've pulled off this rebuild about as well as as anybody could have hoped yeah really throughout the post world series win kenny williams era they have continued to try to contend year after year and have bought more than they've sold and they just never put together a, a great team or even really a good team but they managed to keep their farm system thin through trying to compete mm-hmm. every year so they really needed to to change the way that they're doing things and they have in a very dramatic and to the extent that we can say this when we're so far from seeing most of these guys yeah. pan out uh, they've done it very successfully i think or at least their their returns have been well regarded at the time and this is the sort of move that the cubs have to make not just because in the short term they are struggling and every game counts and and making this move now as opposed to the 31st even if you get a few extra Quintana starts that could make the difference given how competitive this race is as we will soon discuss and I think the way that the Cubs structured their roster with emphasizing position players and drafting position players and figuring that they could get pitchers somehow and in some cases that was getting lucky slash smart on some undervalued guys like Arietta and Hendricks. And in some cases, it was paying full price, basically, whether it was with Lester on the free agent market or now with Quintana on the trade market. But obviously, this makes the Cubs presumably a, a couple wins better over the time that they have left or, or something in that vicinity. Yeah, and even if it doesn't, this trade makes sense in the long term because again, right. Quintana's dirt cheap for the next three years, and Ariad is going to be a free agent. He's probably going to leave. Lackey's almost certainly going to leave as a free agent. Lester's going to get a year older, so they, you know, this fills fills a need not only for their hopes of chasing down the Brewers, but for continuing to contend in 2018 and beyond. All right, so we are just going to talk about the storylines that we are most looking forward to over the rest of the season. I refuse to call it the second half. It is the second 45% of the season. Don't buy into big scheduling's attempt to deceive you here. The season is more than half over, but we still have a lot to look forward to. So we've just come up with five storylines. They're pennant races. They're can slow starters and and fast starters sustain their no fast, season success? No faster starter than the freeze. Can I know, the freeze right. sustain the second half success? Yeah, well, hopefully, evidently not during the break, but a few others. So 
let's just get to them now. So we wanted to start with, I think the AL wildcard is clearly the number one topic on everyone's mind when it comes to standings and playoff implications. And I don't know that I have an answer here to how this will shake up because there are so many teams with a legitimate chance. I think right now, if I go to Fangraph's playoff odds, there are eight different teams with at least a 10% chance of winning a wild card in the American League. The Yankees have the highest chance and even theirs is lower than 40%. So there's just a, a huge jumble here, which is a stark contrast to the National League where you have the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. And we'll talk about the Rockies shortly too, but they are way ahead of the pack. And and really the only way that one of those teams could be in danger is if something happens in the NL Central to shake up that wildcard race, which again, we will also talk about. But back to the AL, what do you make of this? If if the playoffs started today as the season goes, we would have the Yankees and Rays in the wildcard spots, but you've got the Twins a game back. You've got the Royals a game and a half back. The Angels who hung on and played basically just as well without Trout as they had with Trout, and now Trout is back on Friday. They are three games back, as are the Rangers. And then you have the Mariners and the Orioles hanging four games back. And then you've got the Blue Jays five games back. So it's just a, a huge cluster of wildcard contenders. Yeah, I think you touched on most of it. I think the the only thing that I really would go out on any sort of limb on is I think the Yankees are the best team of that group. I think just the depth of position players that they have, the young talent that's coming up. I mean, they already brought up Clint Frazier uh, mm-hmm. mid-season. They brought up Jordan Montgomery mid-season. He's been pretty incredible. I wonder, but they haven't played that well over the over the past month. I think they've been yeah. seven and sixteen over the past thirty days. Which <laughs> thirty days ago we thought that they were going to be challenging the the Astros for the best record in the American League, and now they're pretty conclusively second best in the division to the to the Red Sox. But I, you know, I, I still like the the Yankees to to hang on to one of those wild card spots and the angels doing so well without trout is interesting. I wonder if that's, I guess I buy into the fact that, or the idea that he could come back and provide that boost. And, you know, if they're three games back without trout, then certainly trout's worth three wins over the the second or sorry, I almost said second half. And there was almost problems (laughs) over the the last 45% of the season. Thank you. But I mean, we talked while this was going on about Eric, how Eric Young Jr. was having the best couple of weeks of his life as soon as mm-hmm. Trout went down. They didn't miss a beat without him. So, you know, I, I wonder how much the actual capacity for improvement mm-hmm. there or if that's just a, a fun narrative and make no mistake, a narrative that, that I would enjoy covering if it happens over the second half. Um yeah. I will also say I have, for reasons that I can't really identify, a good feeling about the Blue Jays. Like it mm. wouldn't shock me if they came from all the way back there and nabbed the second wild card spot. And I couldn't tell you why, but I feel it in my gut strongly enough that I'm sharing it with you now. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean the the lesson this season, I suppose, as it is almost every season, is that if you wait long enough, the standings do start to look like you thought they would. And we saw a lot of early season surprises. I mean, the Yankees, we saw the Twins, the Brewers obviously are are still up there and we'll talk about them and then teams in the NL West. But we look up today and the NL West is the only division where the very clear favorite and current leader isn't the preseason favorite. And I think there's there's really almost no doubt in any division about who will win the thing anymore. And they're all the teams that we expected to win. And in this wild card mix, you, you do still have some surprises. And and the Yankees are only 45 and 41 now, and they yeah. were way over 500 before. And, and that was a surprise to everyone. I think that they were doing so well, and it wasn't just the breakout from Judge and Severino and, and some other young players, but it was also just strange bounce backs from all of their veterans and Starlin Castro and Chase Headley and Matt Holiday and everyone kind of closer to the end of their careers than the beginning was having a, a resurgence. And that hasn't really lasted and, and the pitching is a little light, but 
compared to all of these teams, I mean, none of them is particularly impressive to me. So I think I'm with you on the Yankees taking one of these spots. And obviously, if any of these teams is going to add at the deadline, the Yankees would be the top candidate because of their payroll, because of their farm system. And I just was not impressed by the Rangers really coming into the season. The Angels just, I don't think they have enough and I don't think they have enough to get more in the next few weeks, at least when it comes to significant acquisitions. I don't really see the the teams at the back of that race hanging in or, or making a run at least. I could see them continuing to be competitive, but the Twins, the, the Mariners, that group of teams, I don't know if they have what it takes to overtake the top ones. So I might just think that the most likely winners here are the current leaders. I thought the the Rays were pretty good coming into the year, and they have been. The Yankees have surprised me and been better than I thought they would. But I guess the Royals are interesting, right? Because they've probably played the best of any of these teams over whatever recent span you want to talk about. Yeah, I just don't know how you get over like how bad they were, how much they struggled to score runs over the first month or so. The season was, I mean, that's just a really, really difficult image to get out of your head as you're, you know, sort of mentally projecting forward. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, you're never impressed by the Rangers. I feel like I'm always more impressed by the <laughs> Rangers than you yeah. are, and that's just going to be one of those things. Um, but you know, the the Rays are a pretty good team, and I think pretty good will be good enough to get that second wild card spot cuz mm-hmm. just one of the weird things about this season is how much the Dodgers and Astros being that good has screwed up kind of the balance of the rest of the league cuz i mean you right now just the way i'm looking at it we have two teams that are like playing on 109 110 win pace in the the Dodgers and the Astros and two just really really awful teams that could lose 100 games in the the Phillies and i think the Padres are like they are that bad i think their record is a little bit better than they than they've been playing right now and in between there's just a lot of mediocrity so there's only 12 teams that are over 500 there are only 13 teams over 500 12 with a positive run differential right now mm-hmm. and just the Dodgers, and because it's league-wide a zero-sum thing, the Dodgers and Astros have sucked up so many of those runs and so many of those wins that everybody else just sort of looks mediocre. And I think, you know, we have to have at least one mediocre-looking team make the AL wildcard. It's just going to be... Right. Somebody's going to make the playoffs for stupid reasons is, <laughs> yes. is what's going to happen here. Yeah, I think I'm going to just stick with the the teams that are in those spots now because I don't think that any of these other teams is better, but over a mere 45% of the season, I think anything can happen, obviously, in this race since these teams are are separated by a game or two. So you can have completely random fluctuations and luck totally determine this race, essentially. So it's not like at the end of it, we'll be able to look back and, and say that the best team definitely won necessarily. But Well, we will if we have a Dodgers-Astros World Series. But Yeah, speaking of which, if we do have a Dodgers-Astros World Series, who will have home field advantage? That's a question. Yeah. So which team will have the best record? Right now, the Astros are at 60 and 29. The Dodgers are at 61 and 29. I don't know. I mean, they've both been... (laughs) They've both been this good, and I feel like the Astros have a little bit of a capacity to, a little bit more of a capacity to sort of stumble. And yeah. Pakoda has the Dodgers at 104 and a half projected wins, and the Astros at 102.3. So I think I think the Dodgers would have home field advantage. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going with you there also. I I think the Dodgers had the best projections coming into the season and everyone thought that they were crazy because the Dodgers projections were like nine games better than the Cubs projections, at least according to Pakoda, I think. And that has been borne out so far. So yeah, I, I'd go with the Dodgers too. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Pakoda still had the Astros... Uh, Pretty sure Pakoda still had the Astros winning the AL West by a, mm-hmm. a pretty comfortable margin. But what we've seen from them so far is less that that their baseline was better than we thought, but it feels like 
we've backed into like an 80th or 90th percentile outcome just sort of across the board for mm-hmm. the Astros. So like we've gotten the the Cy Young version of Dallas Keuchel and, right. and Mike Fires even allowing as many home runs as he has has been, you know, has not been a terrible pitcher overall, you know, that sort of thing. And it's just sort of happened to the Astros pretty consistently. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was a, a bonus question. We weren't even planning to tackle the next one that we were is the NL Central race and specifically the Cubs Brewers. Although if you want to bring the Cardinals into it, feel free. And I was just eyeballing the projections and they diverge dramatically here, depending on what site and what version of the playoff odds you use. Baseball Prospectus actually has the Brewers as the most likely division winner now, or at least they did before the Quintana trade with the Cubs and then the Cardinals, whereas Fangrass is still giving the edge to the Cubs and saying that they have a better than 50% chance of winning the division. Fangrass actually gives the Cardinals a better chance to win the division than the Brewers, which is the ultimate lack of respect. So that's going right up on the whiteboard in the the Miller Park home (laughs) clubhouse. Yes, definitely. So this is a, a big gap. We're talking about a five and a half game separation. The Brewers have already played 91 games. The the Cubs are just at 88, and there's a, a big gap between these teams. So despite the fact that I continue to think the Cubs are the more talented team, we're starting to get to the point where you look at the records that each team would need, and unless you're forecasting a, a complete Brewers collapse, like if you say, well, they just have to play 500 the rest of the way, Cubs have to play way above 500 the rest of the way to make up five and a half games. So this is no longer an easy question to answer. Yeah. And five and a half games when you're only chasing, and I think it's it's important as we get toward the trade deadline to sort of factor in not only how many games back a team is in a given playoff race but how many teams they have to jump because mm-hmm. like if the if the brewers came into september 1st with a, a five and a half game lead in the division like it wouldn't we've seen bigger leads get blown half a dozen times in the past century so like that that wouldn't be out of the question for them to blow it but it, five and a half games back of the al wild card if you've got six teams to jump sort of like the blue jays do right now that's a right. that's just such a, a more complicated proposition so with that said all year i've been like the Cubs are too talented to play sub 500 ball and just shots have, have got to start falling for them, so to speak, at some point during the season. And here we are at the all-star break and they're still under 500 and they're farther back than ever against the the Brewers. And no, like they don't have to start falling like this is this is put up or shut up time for for the Cubs. And we throw around like post championship hangover and that's just sort of what it's looked like. Like they've sort of played like they're like they're hung over for three months now. So we're too far into the season. Expect everything to regress back to what Pakoda or Zips predicted before the season, particularly when there's so much evidence to the contrary right now. Yeah. I mean, I would still expect them to be closer to that than they have been thus far, especially now that they've acquired one of the best starting pitchers available. But you're right. I don't think that we can say that they are exactly what we thought they were a few months ago, and they're just going to play like that from today on. And it's been such an across the board failure for them relative to expectations that it's not even like you can say, well, they just need to make this one move to improve themselves and they'll fix their flaw. It's been everything. And I know the rotation has gotten a lot of the blame and some of that is deserved, but I think the rotation looks so much worse than last year's largely because of the defensive drop off. And part of that is just that they were one of the best defensive teams ever last year, but part of it is the change in personnel and some aging issues, et cetera. And the offense has been way under what was expected of it too. And these are still the same guys. And a lot of them are the ones who are young and under control and very talented. And so all you can do is is wait really and hope that they play more like they have played in the past. And I think they will, but at this point they have a lot of ground to make up. And I think that now that the Brewers are close enough that they can and should consider adding at the deadline. Whereas just a couple of weeks ago, you would have said, well, 
it's not worth deviating from whatever their plan was coming into the year. They can just sort of treat this as a free roll. And if they get a great rest of the season out of it, wonderful, but they're not going to start dealing their prospect depth or anything. But given the way that they won a bunch of games leading up to the break and the Cubs lost a bunch of games that really significantly changed the outlook for the rest of the season. And at this point, they would be totally justified in making a move. And they do have the prospects. They have the lowest payroll in baseball. And those guys are under control for next year, too, when the Brewers, I think, can reasonably expect to contend again. So I wouldn't rule them out of acquiring anyone who's available. They did pick up lefty reliever Tyler Webb from the Yankees on Thursday. Not exactly matching the Cubs trade for trade, but it's a start. Yeah. And that's, I mean, this is a different front office than the last couple of times the Brewers have made the playoffs, but they've, you know, ownership and we, we talked about this when Jeff Passon was on, but ownership has let them go out and get and rent CC Sabathia and go out and trade for Zach Greinke when they're, they're in that. I mean, this was far enough ago that CC Sabathia was like, was the man. And let me just stop and say, like, there is nothing more fun. There might like actually not be anything more fun in baseball than when a team is chasing like its first serious run at a title in a long time. Yeah. And trades for and it's always it always seems to be a lefty, a lefty Cy Young winner. Uh, <laughs> and he just dominates down the stretch. And whether it's Sabathia or Randy Johnson with the Astros mm-hmm. or David Price with the Blue Jays, uh, you sort of have to cobble together two or three different Cliff Lee trades to get the whole effect. But mm-hmm. like that's awesome. But yeah, that guy would be if they get whether it's Sonny Gray, you know, I don't know who the who the other starting pitcher would be, like it, it would be useful because they've the rotation's been pretty good, but you know, you're starting Chase Anderson in game one of the NLDS against Max Scherzer, the way things are going right now, or Jimmy Nelson, you know, whichever mm-hmm. one of those guys they wind up picking. And they've both been really good, but that just sort of seems like a heat check. Like, well, let's see how magical our season really is. And, you know, if if yeah. Jimmy Nelson can outpitch Max Scherzer, who's allowing fewer hits per inning than any starting pitcher in baseball ever. So mm-hmm. At this point, I think that we're switching from a place where the Brewers are taking their free swing to like actually getting their money's worth out of their free swing. Yeah, and they've got to keep up with the Cubs and Quintana now. I should also mention that the Cubs do have the easier schedule over the rest of the season, which might give them a, a slight edge. And we probably should have mentioned that the Yankees and the Rays, the two teams we were picking in the earlier discussion, have the toughest schedule remaining because they're in a tough division. But I don't know if that changes anything for me here. Are we both going with the Brewers? It seems inconceivable that that, that would be the case. And I fully expect the Cubs to play much better over the rest of the season, and I expect the Brewers to play worse. I I just don't know if those changes are going to be enough. I mean, are we talking about the Cubs actually missing the playoffs? That is that is amazing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you can look at the. God, I really want to say first and second half. And <laughs> you, you look at the pre-All-Star break division of the season and draw any other conclusion. It's absolutely possible. Yeah. Wow. I am usually the, the first one to stick with the preseason projections for longer than most people are inclined to, I think. But at this point, you're even getting baseball prospectus and and the cold calculating numbers to say that the Brewers are the favorite here. So yeah, it's July 13th. We stuck with the preseason projections for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Although the Quintana trade obviously makes this competition even tighter. So if you thought the Brewers had a slight edge before, it has to be considered at least a toss up now. So let's pause here for a quick word from our sponsor. And we'll be right back with the actual second half of this podcast. Do you have a pair of sunglasses with scratched lenses? You either threw them into a junk drawer or you're still wearing them squinting through the scratches. Thanks to Revent Optics, you no longer have to live with those scratches or keep buying pair after pair of new sunglasses. Instead, you can save your sunglasses and replace your lenses with high-quality polarized, non-polarized, and prescription replacement lenses available for any brand on the market. Starting at just $24 a pair, Revent Optics lenses are a fraction of the price of brand name sunglasses. And because they test their lenses to ensure razor-sharp clarity, they're a much better option than cheap gas station shades. Revent lenses are easy to install, guaranteed to fit, and backed by a one-year warranty. And if you can't find your sunglasses listed on their website, Revent Optics can cut custom lenses for you at their lab in Portland, Oregon. 
Join over 500,000 customers and try them risk-free with their 60-day money-back guarantee. Plus, enjoy free shipping and returns in the U.S. And get 20% off your first order when you use the offer code MLB. So go to revantoptics.com slash MLB. That's R-E-V-A-N-T optics.com slash MLB. Revantoptics.com. Replace your lenses. Save your sunglasses. Our next question to tackle is another NL playoff question, and and it does have some bearing, I suppose, on the one that we were just discussing. This is the Rockies, and I put it, will the Rockies collapse? You put it, will the Rockies hang on? I guess you are more of a, a glass half full person in your phrasing oh, of this question. What does that say about you? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> but that is the question. Will the Rockies hang on? Will they make the playoffs after their excellent start and semi-swoon thereafter? They are at 52 and 39 now. So will they make it? And if they make it, will they be a strong contender in October? Not that any team is favored all that much more than any other team in October. But for a while there, they were at the top of the division. They were then at the top of the wildcard race. Now, I think it was always clear to me that they were the inferior team to the Diamondbacks. They maybe weren't getting quite as much attention early in the season, but just looking at their underlying performance and and the players who were producing, it seemed to me that Arizona was stronger, and I still think that's the case, although the gap is only two games at this point. But, I mean, really, it would be hard for them to miss at this point because they have a seven and a half game lead on the Cubs and the Cardinals in the wildcard race. So they really would have to collapse to spoil this. Yeah, I think the characterizing them as sort of a step back of the the Diamondbacks feels right to me. And I'll, you know, seven and a half games, it's not an insurmountable lead, particularly mm-hmm. as they've started to to show show some cracks. But the teams that are chasing them, we just went you know, for 10 minutes about how right. none of the teams that are chasing them are any good either. And then you get past the Cubs and the Cardinals and you get to the Atlanta Braves and Atlanta's yeah. been way better than anybody projected this season. But I'd take the Rockies over the Braves, no matter how bad the Rockies are playing right now. I think mm-hmm. the phrasing, the way we phrase the question is less about me being more optimistic than it is about, I think, I think I just want the Rockies to make the playoffs because it's been mm-hmm. it's been since 2009 since they've made the playoffs and it's in, it's a really interesting team between Mark Reynolds uh you know rediscovering his old form and the fact that they you know their rotation has been really good and it's all rookies who don't strike anybody out for all intents and purposes and that's just yeah. a really like this just feels so fluky that I don't want to say they figured out how to pitch in Coors Field, but mm-hmm. they found something that's worked for 90 games or so. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, it's just a really interesting team. I think they're, they've just got so much breathing room right now. And what does is, what is BP have in that? 76% to, to make the playoffs. And I think that builds in maybe even too much risk. I think it might overstate how good the Cubs actually are as a team that's chasing them, you know, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know, I think that there's room for them for the Rockies to be substantially worse over the second half and still make the playoffs pretty easily. Yeah, and I think that their record probably still doesn't reflect how good a, a team they are. I, I don't think they are as good as the record suggests. And if you look at any of the measures of underlying team performance, whether it's base runs at Fangrass or third order record at baseball prospectus, they show up as one of the most overperforming teams with what should be closer to a 500 record. And the Yankees, by the way, show up as the biggest underperformers of their underlying stats by both of those methods, which is, I think, part of what is giving us some confidence in their future. But yeah, I I think part of that could be the bullpen and and maybe having Adovino and, and Holland and those guys at the back of the pen helps them exceed the record that you would otherwise forecast for them. But it's a really interesting team. I, I agree, not just the individual players. And it's it's nice to see some Rocky stars who can get overlooked at times, getting a, a little more publicity because of the team's success this year. And it seems they've figured out how to play decent defense for once, which they haven't done in a while. They're playing well on the road, which is something that they historically haven't done throughout the, the whole time that this franchise has existed. 
and they just seem to have altered some things about the way that they're constructing their pitching staff, whether it's getting ground balls or relying on certain pitch types more, throwing four seamers more often than before. And maybe all of that has to do with finally figuring out course field to a, a certain extent, although I think it's it's one thing to to have a, a plan and a strategy for how you counter course field, and it's another to execute that plan well. And they have done both so far this season. So I think that they'll have a worse record forward than they have up to this point, but they really would have to completely fall apart not to make the playoffs. And and once they get there, I don't know. They they don't look particularly intimidating, I don't think, with the guys at the top of the rotation, maybe other than Gray, because as you mentioned, this is a, a pretty contact-oriented staff. But I think just getting there obviously makes them one of the better stories this season. Yeah, I mean, I think the pitching staff's better than the one that took them to the World Series in 07. So. Yeah, that could be. And it, it's just a, a lot of interesting things. And there there's room for improvement, too, because yeah. guys like Carlos Gonzalez and Ian Desmond, Trevor Story, and even though DJ LeMahieu made the all-star team, he hasn't been that good a hitter once you take mm-hmm. park effects yeah. into account. And right. like all this of those guys- is, is not strong. Yeah, it, <laughs> so could be a, it could be a lot better than it actually is right now. This team is just full of weird stuff like that. Like Freeland is not only outpitching his fit by, by about a run, he's- Pitching about a run better, his ERA is about a run lower at home than it is on the road, which you don't see that often for uh, for a pitcher who plays for the Rockies. So like, yeah. this is just a very very strange team, and I you know it's all shaken out to to them being seven and a half games up at the break. So mm-hmm. so our last team centric question was about the deadline. So this is the one that we can be wrong about the soonest. This is about. Who will sell, essentially? And obviously, this is related to the discussions we've been having to this point, because I think the way that the market has shaped up and continues to shape up, this could be a really exciting and crazy trade deadline where a bunch of superstars change teams. And obviously, the Cubs kicking things off with Quintana this early is a step in that direction. Or it could be, for the rest of the month, an incredibly slow and quiet deadline where a lot of teams are so close to contention that they won't do anything significant on on the selling side, at least. I mean, you, you have teams like Toronto that could unload superstars like Josh Donaldson or, you know, teams like the Orioles that could even think about moving Manny Machado or the Rangers could think about trading you Darvish and huge names like this and and the Pirates with McCutcheon and Cole. So, I mean, this could be the deadline when we see some of the biggest names that we've seen moved to deadlines recently change teams or if this AL wildcard pack continues to be as closely clustered as it has, you could get a situation where no one will sell because everyone's within three games of a playoff spot. Yeah, I, I sort of go into the second second camp there because I just look at you know who's out. And I think Gray stands a pretty good chance of getting moved because I think the A's are pretty conclusively out of the race. Yes. But you look at the White Sox with Quintana. The White Sox with everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Brazier, their yeah. whole bullpen. You know, the Pirates are in a weird spot. Like, it would just be so emotionally devastating to trade McCutcheon. And Cole is sort of, he's having barely the the worst season of his, of his career, but he's, you know, still having, not pitching up to the standards that got him in the top five in Cy Young voting a couple years ago. And it's just, and like, everybody else is just too close. I think if the, the Blue Jays, like, lose their first seven out of the break, then this turns into right. the Goddardamarung. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think if the, the Rangers, I think the guy who has the potential to be that sort of galvanizing pitcher rental more than anybody else is you Darvish. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Rangers are, are right there in the race still. They're only, they're a, a hot weekend out of the playoffs. So I think that there are just so many so many of the teams that are that have the pieces to sell are either in sort of a confusing place as a franchise or they're still so close to the playoffs where like if they you know if the Rangers trade Darvish and they you know win six of their next seven and they find themselves two games out, that's just going to be devastating. But I think mm-hmm. they might be better off, you know, depending on what they can get for Darvish, just because like they they built that incredible farm system and then sold most of it off for Jonathan Lucor and Cole Hamels. And I think, you know, both of them were I've liked both of those trades for the Rangers at the time, but you know, they've graduated a lot of their top prospects like Mazart and Joey Gallo. And 
you know, they could stand a, an infusion of talent right now. So I think mm-hmm. that Darvish would be the most interesting trade if it happens, but I just, the, the field's going to have to stretch out a lot in a really short period of time, like the next two weeks or so in order for some of those deals to shake out. Yep. And it always seems strange that performance over two weeks, which isn't all that meaningful, could determine the direction your team takes at the deadline, but it can, and sometimes it should. And a lot of these big potentially available players we're talking about are in the midst of down years for them. Almost all of them are really. None of these guys is really potentially being sold high, whether it's Donaldson, who's missed a lot of time and hasn't played at an MVP level when he's been on the field, or or all the pitchers we're talking about, Quintana and, and Cole and Gray and Darvish, all of these guys are not having their best years. So maybe there's some trepidation about what these teams are actually acquiring, although I think any of them could be a difference maker to the extent that trade deadline additions are ever difference makers, which I think is is fairly rare, at least in the regular season. But yeah, I, I think I agree with you. The White Sox are in a, a great position to deal all their guys. I, I think the A's, as you mentioned, and I could see either Cole or McCutcheon being moved more likely McCutcheon, right? Because, I mean, he has fully rebounded now. He's been playing very well since his start to the season. And given the the slump he, he went through there for more than a season and his age and contract situation and where the Pirates are competitively, which I don't think is a, a dire situation or anything, but I think that now the the Brewers have passed them as the team with the best non-Cubs outlook over the medium to long term in this division. And I don't know that the Pirates stack up all that well with either them or St. Louis in the short term, which is not to say like tear it down or anything, but I could definitely see McCutcheon moving, probably not both of those guys, but... Other than that, I kind of agree with you. This could completely change by the time July 31st rolls around. But right now, I would expect it to be fairly quiet with maybe one or two big names changing teams. Good. Well, I hope we got the reverse jinx in. And uh... <laughs> Yes. Well, when you're on call to write about trade deadline transactions, I'm always always on team no transactions and I'm I'm rooting for teams to stand pat. No, I, I do most of those anyway. <laughs> yes, like there's a there's a, a Vince Velasquez for Joey Gallo trade reaction article <laughs> yes. that I panic wrote on a Saturday night last year sitting in my on my desktop right now. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that will obviously be one of the things that we're monitoring most closely over the next few weeks, but it is also a, a largely unpredictable thing. So I guess we could talk about some of the teams that are really on the periphery of that race. Like we talked about the Orioles and the Mariners who are only four or five games back in that AL wildcard race, but I think have a lot of teams to climb over and particularly in the Orioles case have just looked lousy for a while now. I, I just can't imagine a team with this rotation making a real run. It's a it's an accomplishment if they can allow fewer than five runs for a few games in a row. So so it's been three times in the past five years that we've had trouble imagining a team with the Orioles rotation making a run and they've <laughs> yes. actually made a run. So yeah, I think this one's even worse yeah. than the previous <laughs> ones. This this one is rough. I just want to say, so, like it's all degrees of the same thing we've seen from the Orioles every single year. So yeah, I mean it's the same sort of Orioles model of like a low on base, high slugging like team with a lousy rotation. model of not being very good, but still winning 90 games anyway. Yes. This and is... it's like a, a worse version of this yeah. model where they're worse at the things they were bad at and not as good at the things they were good at. So the big question all year long has been Machado. And that's been complicated by the fact that many Machado is batting 230 right now with a sub 300 on base. And I don't think Manny Machado's really worse than I thought he was a few months ago. I think he's had some bad luck and he is still great. And any team that got him would be acquiring a star player. But when it comes to a a sort of franchise player like that, maybe the, the safest expectation is that he will not be moved. But it certainly makes sense from a dispassionate perspective and 
if our editor Mary Rubin is recovered enough from binge mode to be listening to this uh, podcast now, she is, so she is in I'm tears throw listening this to this. Out into the universe, like <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, like, hmm, what's a team with a history of panic trading for veterans and a huge hole at third base? Uh-huh. And how, do we want to just whisper Manny Machado to Boston at the deadline? Into I mean, into it's always ether. been the most logical fit from a, a talent and roster construction perspective, except for the fact that these two teams hated each other at least a couple months ago. So I don't know whether that's the kind of thing that I think you could get over it in time, but I don't know if you can get over it within the same season and not have that be a problem. Best in way to get house. Matt Barnes to stop throwing at Manny Machado <laughs> is to right. put him in a Red Sox uniform. So Yeah, so I think it makes all the sense in the world when you look at the Orioles' outlook over the next few years, which is not rosy, and what Machado could bring back. And even though his surface stats are bad, I think that doesn't matter so much anymore, given that every team is looking more at the underlying numbers. And so I think teams would still pay plenty for Manny Machado. And and really, if the Orioles are looking at having a not depressing and sustained run of losing seasons, that might be the smart move. But odds are it probably doesn't happen just because trading Manny Machado is a a momentous move to make. It's too much fun to happen in the... The timeline we're living out now mm-hmm. and and then you have the mariners who i i sort of feel bad for in a way not just because they are the team that has gone the longest without a playoff appearance and their fans are sad every year when it seems like the mariners are a favorite at least for some sort of playoff spot and then stuff happens that <laughs> that that plunges them back down in the standings and and they've had a lot of things go wrong and injury issues and someone like Drew Smiley who was like the linchpin of a lot of their offseason moves then goes down with Tommy John surgery and and gets hurt all year so i don't know that i can see this team playing a whole lot better than it has they don't have to be great to stay in the race as we've mentioned but they are in this weird situation i think probably a, a less extreme version of the orioles situation where there's not a ton of prospect talent and you've got an older roster and it seems like there was a window although jerry depoto completely remakes his roster every winter so yeah. i don't i don't know what they'll look like come next march yeah, I got the song stuck in my head. So if that's what you were after. <laughs> yeah. We should move on. So the last thing we wanted to talk about is the race for most valuable player in the American League. And and by most valuable player, I think maybe we mean actual most valuable player, not necessarily player who will win the most valuable player award. But the question is, can Mike Trout pull off a freeze like comeback after standing still for the past six or seven weeks and building up that big early wins above replacement lead, but then having Aaron Judge leapfrog him by a couple wins as he was idle and rehabbing. So this is a question mostly, I suppose, about how Aaron Judge will play in this rest of the season. I almost said second half myself because I think we can expect Mike Trout to be Mike Trout. So you wrote about this right for our, mm-hmm. our second half predictions group post yep, at the ringer. Uh, well, it is the title of the post, I believe. So I, I have to say it in this case. You know, this is sort of a, like, I don't actually think this is going to happen, but I think it's, I think it absolutely could and I think it would be really cool if it did, particularly because the way Trout was hitting, like I'm, I almost like I want my money back from the six weeks we didn't have Trout, particularly considering how well he was playing before he went down. So like I feel like we're owed a twelve hundred OPS from him yeah. through the rest of the season. And if that happens, like he was so far out in front of the pack, including Judge. That like Judge doesn't have to like that collapse where Judge goes back to being like a 550 OPS hitter the the way he was uh, last year like that doesn't have to happen but if he slips to like it feels weird saying slips to a thousand OPS then someone else could come catch him for the MVP but like Trout was so good before he hurt his thumb that that's absolutely a possibility and you and you know I sort of framed this in in terms of MVP voting that like Trout coming, if Trout coming back spurs that Angels, you know, we were a 500 team without Trout. So we're, you know, 10 games over 500 team with mm-hmm. Trout over the course of a full season, then, you know, you start 
getting the Angels clawing back that lead in the wild card and you have Judge slips a little bit and the Yankees haven't played that well, then, you know, that would be a really convenient narrative. And I think, a you know, too compelling a narrative for voters to ignore. Mm-hmm. That's if, you know, judges are just so far out of the frame right now that that nobody could catch him. But, I, you know, that's that's something I'll be... And, you know, I'm not the first person to bring this up. I think you actually brought this up on Effectively Wild when Trap first went down. Yeah. So, like, I'm not the only person thinking about this, and it would be really, really interesting if it happened. Yeah, I think it was a more reasonable thing to bring up maybe when Trout got hurt, because at that point, he we had a large lead. Had, yeah. We didn't know that Judge would continue to be as amazing as he had been to that point. And so it was... Very easy to imagine that Trout could make up that ground when he came back and that Judge would fall off. And now I don't think there's any real reason to expect a a significant decline because it seems like pitchers have been trying to test Judge's weaknesses and have discovered that he doesn't have any. So I think given how much time is left here, it would be tough for Trout to make up that ground. And I don't really expect an Angels run at this point just because Trout is back. They were a a 500 or worse team with him before Mm -hmm. he got hurt when he was playing better than he ever has before. So yeah, I I think that's right. And, And my contribution to that group post, which was typically tepid, as I often am when I'm asked to make predictions. I wrote about how I think Carlos Correa will be the best player in the American League in the non-trout division over the rest of the season. And that's not what you said. You said baseball's second best position player, right? Yes, that's true. I did so not that means you think he's going to be better than one of one of Trout or Judge in the second half. Yeah, I guess it, it really means that I think he is going to be better than Judge because I will okay. always pick Mike Trout as the, the best player. And yeah, I, I guess I'm not including Chris Sale in this conversation. But if you look at what Correa has done since April, it's incredibly impressive. And in April, he had... Just very subpar stats, and he was hitting 233, 309, 349. But if you looked at the, the stat cast metrics, how hard he was hitting the ball and where he was hitting the ball seemed to predict much better success than he was actually having. And since that point, only Judge has been a better hitter. And we're talking about more than a third of the season. And Correa has hit 359, 436, 662 over that span while obviously playing at least decent shortstop defense. And if you can be one of the best hitters in baseball while playing shortstop capably, then you are almost inevitably going to be either the best player in baseball or the best besides Mike Trout. And maybe Correa is, you know, not the hitter that we've seen him be over the past three months exactly, but obviously everyone has been forecasting superstardom for him since day one, since he was drafted, if not before. So I have kind of been waiting for this breakout. And I think what he's done this season is, if anything, less surprising than the fact that he was not immediately otherworldly last year. And I know he he had some injury issues and he was still incredibly valuable. But mm-hmm. this is the the real Carlos Correa, the one we've been waiting for. And I expect that to continue. Okay. I, I think Carlos Correa is going to be the second best infielder on the Astros over the second half. Ooh. I've, I'll, I'll, you know, we... Correa's hitting 325, 402, 577 right now, but Jose Altuve is hitting 347, 417, 551 with mm-hmm. 18 stolen bases. And Correa, like, this is the really weird thing about Correa's season. He yeah. hasn't so much as attempted a stolen base yet. And, like, he's yeah. not, you know, he's not a burner like you'd expect from a normal shortstop. But, you know, I think he was double digit stolen bases each of his first two seasons. Let me look mm-hmm. that up. Yes. And 18 stolen base attempts in 2015, 16 last year. So, for him not to even attempt one is it's starting to like turn into a thing down here. But mm-hmm. I mean, I think Altuve still underrated. Like he's still like, he's, he's somehow retained. Like, you know how back when he was called BJ Upton, BJ Upton could only like, he could hit for average or power, but not at the same time. Right. Like, Altuve is, has figured out how to do both and put that together in a way that that Upton never did. And he's right there with Correa right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, Correa is bigger, stronger, I'd argue, more traditionally talented in terms of power, but mm-hmm. I'm still not convinced he's better than Altuve right now. And that stands a pretty good chance of changing over the over the next couple of years, but I'm right. not... You know, I'm not there yet. Yeah, the the Korea non-steals thing is is odd. I don't know whether yeah, it has it's, anything it's to trivia. I mean, yeah, it's it not... is right. Yeah, I mean, he uh, 
he hurt his shoulder last September on a, a diving defensive play, I think. And I don't know whether there's any trepidation about diving because of that. But if that has anything to do with it, I wouldn't blame him or complain at all because I think anything that keeps Carlos Correa on the field is in the best interest of the Astros and even stealing zero bases he's probably been the most valuable player in baseball over the Mm -hmm. past three plus months so looking forward to what else he can do this Astros lineup is just absolutely nuts it really is they've got 10 guys who have gotten regular playing time and have an OPS plus 109 or better yeah it's incredible yeah the 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 top five hitters since April I had that little list in my group post and it's Judge Correa Justin Turner George Springer. So the Astros have had two of the top four hitters in baseball over the past three plus months, plus Jose Altuve, plus everyone else. So it really is a a rich collection of talent. All right. So that was what we had on our itinerary. So we have come to the end of this episode and we will be back on Monday. Baseball will be back tomorrow. We will talk again soon. Thanks, Michael. Bye. wine do you drink and how much of that wine do you actually enjoy finding new wines that are up to par can be tricky thankfully nakedwines.com connects everyday wine drinkers and winemakers more closely than ever before granting you access to unique wines from across the globe better yet by removing a huge chunk of costs they save you up to 60 percent on your wine get a hundred dollars off your first order try 12 of nakedwines.com's favorites for only 79 dollars and learn more at nakedwines.com mlb